Hello, I'm Toby. I like Doctor Who, and I'm about to watch a story chosen for me by a friend with the aim of mining it for positives in order to guess what their favourite things about this particular adventure are. So join me, watch along with me if you like, or just listen as I chat to you, offer facts, opinions and observations, but mainly try to get us to those special planes that Doctor Who takes us to, those happy times and places. You're listening to Happy Times and Places, a positive Doctor Who episode commentary with me, Toby Haydoke. So before we get down to episode three of our particular adventure, let's remind ourselves what it is, who chose it, and why. Hello, my name's Chris Boyle, and I'm a full-time A-level law teacher and an incredibly part-time comedian and podcaster. The story that I've chosen is The Day of the Daleks, and the reason I've chosen that is because I do have problems uh, with The Third Doctor. Um, He should be my favourite. He's played by John Pertwee, he wears velvet jackets, he does incredibly complicated fight sequences whilst holding a glass of whiskey, and yet, more often than not, I find him a bit pompous and a bit superior, and it gets on my nerves. So I'm going to see if I can find the positives in a third Doctor story. Well, welcome. It's episode three of Day of the Daleks. I left you on a cliffhanger last time, but when I do the reprise from the cliffhanger... Uh, there's not going to be a musical sting. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there is, however, hopefully now, the opportunity for you to press play, which you will do on Day of the Daleks, episode three, in three, two, one, now. So, um, the eagle-eared amongst you... Uh, will notice that I got carried away talking about all sorts of things because the clip of the Doctor and the Ogron at the end of, towards the end of episode two was the one that they used on the BBC News to report John Pertwee's death. The BBC arts correspondent Nick Hyam said uh, something along the lines of uh, the sets may have wobbled and the acting may not have been up to much, but for many children, John Pertwee was Doctor Who. You think... That is such a snide attitude to take. I've never understood people who work in sort of arts journalism uh, who who speak about television as though it's something that they've just trodden in. Um, if, if you don't like it, don't uh, don't take the shilling writing about it. There are so many brilliant people, um, uh, and there's so many, especially today, in sort of fandom and on social media. I was uh, looking at something written by John Williams, who's a, who's, he's a, he's a friend of mine, but I... I came into contact with him because of Tacky on TV, which is the podcast he did. But he's a brilliantly knowledgeable fellow about television and he's a really good writer and he's probably a better writer and knows more about TV than half of the people, most of the people out there who write about television. Um, uh, And I find it really odd that the sort of television critic's job is often given to somebody that used to do the motoring column or, you know, so you, you can get the job of being, you know, a broadsheet paper's, newspaper uh, 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 television 
critic without having seen I, Claudius or Edge of Darkness. You wouldn't you wouldn't become the food columnist if you didn't know what an aubergine was. Um, so anyway, Nick, yeah, Nick Kayam yeah, said that about, uh, 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 you know, Doctor Who and John Pertwee. And, and it was it was during the wilderness years when it was it was lazy and shorthand to sort of go, yeah, Doctor Who is a bit naff. But to do that when you're sort of paying tribute to a much loved uh, artist who has just died, who entertained generations of children in a programme that has uh, made a huge impact and created cultural iconography, I think um, d- deserves a bit of a kick up the backside myself. Uh, so I just wanted to get that off my chest. Uh, hopefully that wouldn't happen now because Doctor Who is, is a bit more fashionable. Scott Fredericks, I haven't mentioned yet, the beautiful Scott Fredericks, uh, who returns to Doctor Who in Image of the Fendal. Uh, he's got he's got a great sort of he's got a great face for this sort of part, but also he's uh, in in Blake Seven. Uh, he's uh, a character called Carnell. Um, I'm not a massive Blake Seven fan. Well, I, don't, I mean, I like it, but I don't know much about I don't know much about it <laughs> except I know some of the people who are guest stars, and yeah, I can name all of the actors. Okay, um, yeah, I like yeah Blake Seven. Um, He's a character in an episode called Weapon, I think. Is it the one with with John Bennett? That he's this sort of logic chess champion guy who who predicts uh, he predicts what people will do, and uh, Serverlan hires him, and he he rather uh, charmingly he realizes that she's going to kill him at the end, so he 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 preempts that, and he and he and he scoots off, and I think she's quite turned on by that, and. He's he's kind of there is a bit of an undercurrent to them, uh, uh, and that's a great sort of one episode character, um, uh, and he and he's and he's very good in Image of the Fendal as Max Steil, the uh, the uh, the inscrutable German bad guy. So um, yes, and I they have escaped. Yeah, that's how we talk now. Um, I wonder if there was a take with it. They have escaped, my lord. Uh, <laughs> By Jingo. Um, oh, yeah, and the, this is where the Doctor gets a look at the dystopian future. There's a lot of Ogrons, aren't there? You forget, because I always think there's only Rick Lester. <laughs> um, they are quite... Uh, there's quite a number of them, and uh, this location stuff um, in the desolate Earth future... Um, But I, yeah, I, Scott Fredericks, I did meet briefly at the when they showed the the special edition of this, um, uh, at uh, somewhere in the south. No, not the South Bank. Somewhere it doesn't matter. You can't go. You can't go there now. It was in the past. Um, uh, and I had a, a brief chat with him, and he knew who Rob Shearman was, which was rather fun. And he'd been a bit poorly, so he wasn't he wasn't quite as sort of robust as he as as and he wasn't as young. Uh, as I imagined, and he's, he died a couple of years ago. Um, and I meant to ask him for his autograph, and I didn't because cause I just didn't. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. I was lucky to meet him, but my fan little completion niggle goes, you had the opportunity to get the autograph of an actor you liked, and you didn't. I didn't. Reader, I didn't. Uh, see, this is the, 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 the per- sense of scale and perspective is different here. Suddenly... Aubrey Wood seems sort of cramped and subservient, even because he's having to stoop slightly, even though the Daleks are shorter than him. But they're sort of like malevolent little mites 
um, flanking him, you know. It's good. Yeah, what it does with scale, this story. And the vision mixing is interesting. And, and I know that Steve Bruster was keen to get Mike Cather with the vision mixer on the extras. And I think he's on the commentary. And I think they do a little documentary, don't they, as well? Because it's a story where the vision mixing is quite important. And I like the fact that the DVD does that, you know, that uh, you, you can examine different areas of Doctor Who production, um, uh, especially if there's a story where it's particularly appropriate to talk about those things. Um, oh yes, I, yes, I've gotten those little bits on the on the screen filming the Doctor, um, and I, I I think this is this of course talking of the DVD. This is where I make the erstwhile mistake. I I I, I nipped over to Birmingham to do something, and I, 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 I and I did these voiceovers for Steve, and. Um, and there's a line that refers to your erstwhile producer, which we'd used in the sense of how Doctor Who fans have used it, which is to mean sort of dogged and doughty. And it doesn't mean that at all. It's got the word while in it. It means former. But because we as Doctor Who fans, I think the theory is, I hadn't come up with this, Gary Gillett did, I think, um, is that we we say we think erstwhile means, means doughty and loyal because... There was a picture of Sergeant Benton that referred to him as the erstwhile Sergeant Benton. But that meant that he used to be Sergeant Benton, but since Robot was Warrant Officer Benton. So he was a former sergeant, an erstwhile. Again, it's got the word while in it, uh, <laughs> which doubty which and dogged does not. Um, and anyway, so we have used erstwhile to mean that, loyal, whatever, doughty, dogged. Um and I thought it was a very Doctor Who thing and it was a mistake and it's in the script and I read it out. I was tired and I was rushing from one thing to another, but neither of those things are enough mitigation. I have to say I was party to a mistake. Um, and as somebody with an English degree, it's quite an embarrassing one, but I have to own it, even though I didn't write the script. So I'm sort of owning it whilst going, but I didn't write the script, but I did say it out loud. Um, uh, but I've since... I've since had erstwhile used to me in that context, uh, in the environs of the BBC, used in a script by somebody that has never seen Doctor Who. So isn't that funny that that mistake has replicated itself or rippled out? Can't all have rippled out from Doctor Who magazine, can it? And somehow entered the life of that person in the BBC who was talking, who, who, who used in a script that it's your erstwhile agent here, but it was meaning your hardworking agent and and in fact i went uh, i think that's very creepy look the uh, the uh, shiny space lady gibbs um who is paid by deborah brayshaw who um for years was an actress that we i didn't know where she was and couldn't find but i, I did a podcast interview with somebody recently he said oh that's my friend's mum so i sent out a sort of a plea going oh tell us to get in touch i'd love to interview her but it's it's the, the, the call into the wild, I don't know if it was passed on, uh, but she hasn't bitten. Um, I'm always on the lookout to catch an actor we haven't spoken to before. One of the rare examples of smoking in Doctor Who, um, which as a kid I thought was terribly grown up. I loved it when people had a fag in Doctor Who because it enabled me to tell my friends who thought Doctor Who was a children's programme, no, they have smoking and everything. It's all grown up. Um, and I do quite like it as a, as a touch. It's like the rare occasions there's blood 
blood and smoking. That's 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 what grown ups do. Um, and Valentine Palmer here playing Monia. Now in the book he's Moni. In this he's Monia. In the closing credits of the BBC Video Omnibus Edition, he becomes because I guess Valentine is is not a name. Perhaps the credits person associated with uh, maleness, maybe. Uh, he's credited as Monica. Um, that guard that we briefly saw there was an actor of who did a lot. George Raystrick. Um, it's his only Doctor Who. Uh, he had a great career as a character actor. Worked for the RSC. Played played uh, sort of the, the clownish parts in, uh, in in various Shakespeare's for the RSC and died, if not on stage, backstage. He was working in a play with Bernard Cribbins. And I remember being very cross because he was in a an episode of a thing called The Vet a couple that month, but after his death had been announced. And he was a sort of guest lead. He, had, he did quite a lot in it. And there wasn't a little... Because they used to do that all the time. If somebody had died before the, their episode of something was shown, they'd go, and since that programme was made, we regret to say that the actor George Raystrick has died. And they didn't do that. And I was really cross. And they certainly wouldn't do that today for, for, for somebody who's not a household name. But they used to do it all the time. Remember, they did it for Noel Dyson on A Heartbeat. They did it for Harold Innocent on The, the, the Paradise of Death. Um, remember them doing it for Dino Shafiq on, I think, a repeat of It Ain't Our Fop Mum. And I used to like it when that happened. It gave you a sort of connection and it, it, it made you feel that, you know, the people making things were sort of special because they are, because they come into your homes. Um, and I think an acknowledgement of that is nice, which probably explains why my Facebook feed is just full of going, I have comedian friends who go, who, who I know have said to other comedians, what, most comedians put jokes up on their Facebook and Twitter? Toby's, Toby just seems to go, that actor from that thing has died. And I... It, it, and I, I, yeah, I, um, I, I, I do behave like I'm in some sort of morbid dressing room, <laughs> sort of yeah, grease paint obituaries. Uh, he's oh, he's brilliant, Aubrey Woods. I really like him. Um, but yeah, George Raystrick, well, yeah, was in a was in a show with Bernard Cribbins. I I recall. Um, Oh, he's really roughed up, actually, in this Doctor. It's quite, uh, the, the, it, you know, we're, we're pre-Holmes and Hinchcliffe where things are really sadistic. But actually, this just has elements of this, particularly Andrew Carr here is, um, I don't think he gets a name, is he? He's Chief Guard or something. Um, I'm sure he gets a name in the book. And he's not just some random guard. He's, he's the guy that takes over, isn't he, from the, from the, con from the control no he's the guy that takes over from the controller in this but the guy that takes over from the controller in the book has a name i can't remember um but anyway he's chief guard and uh, but he's making the most of it he's he's doing some good good acting with his whip there and and you put we looks really pissed off it's it's uh, you know for this this point in the show's history this is quite sort of nails and and put with well well up for it he's you know he's not he's not having it with this sadist and andrew carr does a does a nice job um i had quite a sad story about him that i i, I probably can't can't say because it's it's not in the public domain but um yeah he and this is peter hill and i i and i seem to recall and george racetrick all died within a 
I say a short time of each other. It was probably five years or so. Early 90s, I think these two died. I think George Raystrick must have been around that time as well. So it seemed to me that every, every, episode three of Day of the Daleks was, was sort of gradually losing people. Um, we'll be outside if you need us. He's, he's yeah, this is he's more than just a guard. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's investing it with a lot of character. Yeah, Peter Hill, I think, had been a, a regular in Crossroads, hadn't he? And, and I think had been, I'm sure I read somewhere he'd asked to be killed off so that he wouldn't be tempted to go back because, you know, uh, 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 you know, and uh, the security of a regular part in something is very tempting for an actor. So if you if you if you fr stop yourself from from having access to something, it, it forces you to seek other opportunities and perhaps have more variety. I think that would be s suicide now um, because there's so little being made. But in those days, you know, you took your chances and you went, well, I'd get an episode of this drama that week and that sitcom the next week, then a bit of theatre, but, but so much less is being made now. Um, and uh, I think he died on Christmas Day, Peter Hill, did he? That, that's, that's, I think he did. That's, I'm, I'm not swearing to that, but uh, I, I, that's something that's, that's lurking in the back of my head. Um, uh, but yeah, I remember, I remember reading about it in the, I think in the stage or in Doc 2 magazine. Um, but it, yes, it seemed to be that the day of the Daleks went through a phase of his, oh, I love, I love that little moment between them where, you know, the manager just goes, don't trust him. And the doctor clocks it again. That little, that a bit like the t don't turn it to the marine things, where you're slightly just ahead and you feel complicit in, uh, in in proceedings from the goodest point of view, which always gives you a bit of hope. Uh, but this is this is nice because he's only, I mean, he's only in this episode, the manager, isn't he? But he gets a, a total story, you know. He he comes in, he has the bit with the doctor, but he, then he has that clash with the guard. And then he has this bit with the... And now, of course, he's got this bit with the controller, but we know that he's a good guy. Um, but we also know that he's a good guy in a very tenuous position. Uh, and your family. And that speaks volumes. And, oh, and and you really feel for him. And, the, you know, the camera's trusting the actors by going really close in on both of them. And they both totally deliver the sort of inscrutable, polite threat from Aubrey Woods, who we also sort of know is a, well, you know, is a good guy, really. He's doing all his stuff. Peter, oh, that, that sort of trying to hold it together, but shaking that Peter Hill's doing there is great. That's lovely. And he waits until, you know, the, the controller's gone. And I, I, I don't know why his secret radio to the rebels just happens to be in the doctor's cell, but... Uh, I'll take it because, uh, well, I'll take it because we need that bit of information. And, uh, oh, the, but the poor old manager, I mean, he's, uh, he's about to get got, isn't he? And that's, that's it. I mean, what does he get? Four or five minutes of screen time? But he's a totally rounded character in terms of what he contributes to the story. He's more than just imparting a bit of information. Um, 
you know, he gets a little, you'd call it an arc nowadays, but he gets a, he gets a progression and a journey and it's rather sad. Um, I've missed the bit, haven't I, where he said that now I've told you the year. Uh, I was looking for it last episode, but I think, I think a little bit too late. Uh, I do like Joe's costume in this. Um, and Pertwee can carry it off, can't he? He's so... I do understand Chris's point about the fact that sometimes when the Doctor thinks he's being clever, he's actually being a bit of an arse. Um, but, but you know how sometimes you let rogues get away with things that, that, that somebody like me wouldn't get away with because a charming rogue, you sort of go, no, I'll take that from you because you're a charming rogue. I know I'm not a charming rogue. I think it's the same with Pertwee. Sometimes where you go, oh, you're a pretentious git. Because it's Pertwee, because of how he looks, because of how he holds himself. Uh, and and, and but they like being happy and prosperous. That's great. That's killer stuff from the Doctor. I You sort of take it. I, I think... I, I think he inhabits the role of the Doctor so well. Um... And, and does things that, if they were said by other people, you wouldn't like them, and yet yet somehow he gets away with it. He wears things that I would love to be able to wear what John Pertwee wears and not look like a tool, but I would look like a tool. I'm also I'm not elegant like him. He's very He holds himself very well, but I would look like an absolute Burke in that. He looks great. Um... And what an interesting piece of casting he was, because he was the, you know, he was the radio comic, the funny voice man. And he, and he, you know, he rises to the occasion with this dramatic stuff, like with that guard. And this bit here, he's, you know, he's not accepting it from the controller at all. The, but the controller's trying to maintain this sort of veneer of civility and the doctor's not having it. Good for you, doctor. And Joe's been completely taken in. <laughs> Poor old Joe. Yep, superior. They have a, a quizzling. They, they, they use the word quizzling in this, don't they? Which was a really good word to learn early. I remember I was quite young when I, I, I learned it. Did I learn it from this? I don't know if I did. I think I learned it at junior school. But it was a, it was a Q word. And words beginning with Q were few and far between. Of course, this is five. It's five years since Evil of the Daleks, um, which was the last time. Oh, and they've done a trailer for this, haven't they? Which I think is lost. Um, and in fact, I know it's lost because I've not seen it. It's not on the DVD uh, of the Daleks on London Landmarks. And I think was that Robert Jewell, the original, you know, one of the original Dalek operators. I think that was one of his. That was his last. Doctor Who booking. Um, ah, now I remember this in the book. Because she hits him on the top of the head and he goes, I, I, I think we had an urban myth in our household that the that the Ogrons were only vulnerable at the top of their head rather than actually if you hit somebody near where their brain is, it's going to knock them out. But I think it was a bit like that was like the Sontaran's probic vent. The Ogrons um, were susceptible only if you hit them on the top of the head. I don't know if that was because that was how it was explained in the book or or just the picture showed it like that. I don't know. I can't remember. Um, 
but like the like the like, like the mouse moustache it was a thing that was my assumed knowledge and history of of the ogrons that actually uh just wasn't true um oh yeah. <laughs> this is the this is the slowest now they are okay the leap the ogron who leapt that was brilliant but then they really aren't they really aren't in a hurry to 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 chase the uh slightly speeded up i think uh tricycle but you know that's that's funky you get a uh, a a new piece of equipment and job hope just oh I'd, i could go on that um and that and that's quite a, that's quite a nifty that's quite a nifty sequence I, i'd remembered that being worse than that i'd remembered the ogrons moving far slower and that's a brilliant shot i love that the ogrons in vast numbers on location look terrific um All right, Monica. Uh, Monica is given the incorrect Monica in the closing titles. Um, a Valentine Palmer has written a book about the Titanic because his great great uncle was Lightoller, who's the Kenneth Moore guy in uh, in Night to Remember, who was you know the the highest officer to survive. Uh, and I th and I think it's a bit conspiracy theory. And I've interviewed Valentine Palmer, but we didn't talk about that. Um, and he, he, he sought me out for my Who's Round podcast, bless him. I love this. I love this, that the uh, you think, oh, they're just using the, the titles as a bit of background, which is nifty. You know, that's a nice, in, in the same way that the signal howl round of the Hartnell titles is sometimes used on Dalek monitors. So that's quite nice. But actually, that's the, I think that's the only time in the classic era, well, certainly in the colour era of, of these sorts of single caption closing credits where the you know an actor's name appears over the action because normally it cuts to the title sequence and the names it doesn't doesn't sort of fade fade over senior guard not chief guard andrew carr um so yeah actually do the doctor's name appearing on the on the screen like that is rare and, and it does that because it's fading into because it's doing that thing like it does with the faces of the titles you know, join in with the thing on the monitor. But there's a precedent for that because Dalek monitors have used Doctor Who title sequences before. It's 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 like they, their spare time they watch Doctor Who to wind themselves up and have and have, and have nicked the uh, uh, have nicked the graphic design uh, to wind themselves up even more as their screensaver. Let's use the title sequence as our screensaver. Oh, but those these Daleks don't talk. Let's use the title sequence. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, so. Oh, that's interesting because I would have, I would have said the the trike chase was was sort of in the middle of the episode. It comes really close to the end, doesn't it? Um, uh, and and I know the end of episode four will come as a bit of a surprise as well. Um, so it, it feels to me like this is a dense story that's rather packed. Um, the, you know, the end comes as a surprise every time, uh, or maybe it's just because I'm chuntering on <laughs> anyway what's my favorite thing about that episode i think it's i think it's it can't be the fact that is it the fact that john pertwee's name appears at the end and that the titles the titles blend with the picture oh yeah i'm never going to get a chance to do that again because that's the only time that that happens i know the you know the credits appear in the 60s the credits appear over the picture and go up but that's like i think that's slightly different but the title sequence because there's no title sequence in the closing of the 60s episodes 
I like that, and it and it and it and it and it sort of ties in with the whole visual inventiveness and the using monitors to blend from one scene to another. And this is like the the you know the ultimate iteration of that is that the 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 monitor actually blends into the closing title sequence. So yeah, I think that's a legitimate. It's not just that moment. It's that it's that sort of visual motif um, that 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 keeps reoccurring and yeah culminates in leading us into the closing titles for episode three i bet chris hasn't chosen that <laughs> he might have done uh, but let's see chris has chosen for episode three for episode three um i was a little bit spoiled for choice i think there were a number of things that i could have chosen as my favorite over this episode uh, but i've gone with the motorized tricycle chase it's possibly <laughs> the shortest chase sequence in history <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. Um, Pertwee covers about three square feet of ground uh, when he's being chased <laughs> on this tricycle, uh, and then he's eventually captured, and the Daleks reveal that he really is the Doctor. There's some stills of Troughton and Hartnell get projected on a screen behind him. <laughs> so, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought the tricycle chase was better than I'd remembered. Uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I'd remembered it being awful, and uh, and it's not. But apart from the couple of bits you can see where the Ogrons sort of saunter very slowly. Um, uh, come back, my liege. Um, but I'm happy with my choice as well. OK, uh, that was the end of episode three. I wonder if there's a way that I can make the titles, the title sequence blend in with the... I'm editing this on iMovie. I've got no idea. <laughs> It might make a right pig's ear of it. But just imagine that I'm blending the title sequence in with the pictures and on the podcast, just bye. Um, <laughs> but uh, I will speak to you for Day of the Daleks, episode four. Thanks for joining me for episode three. Ta-ta. I think you'll find. 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 Right, yeah, I'd had a bit of confusion about Robert Jewell, one of the original Dalek operators, who I'm sure had had something to do, even though his last credit on Doctor Who is episode 10 of The War Games. Uh, and I was right, it wasn't the trailer, there was a trailer for Day of the Daleks, so he may have, but I don't think he was involved with that. That was filmed at lots of London landmarks, I don't know who the Daleks were for that. Um, but Robert Jewell was booked for a day at Ealing with John Pertwee uh, for some sort of trail that never actually happened, but it was, it was part of the production of Day of the Daleks. So that was Robert Jewell, original Dalek operator's last involvement with Doctor Who. So that little thing hanging in the back of my mind was sort of correct, but course i like to put uh, some sort of clarification so that my twitter stream isn't filled with i think you'll find us i think i might do i think you'll find uh, as a badge <laughs> why not and just to clear up uh, andrew carr and peter hill died within a couple of years of each other uh, andrew carr died in 1992 peter hill in 1995 peter hill did not die on christmas day he died on the 29th of december so uh, i was close but anyway, I'm happy to clear that up uh, because I don't want to think I'll find I get corrected. So uh, there we are. If you'd uh, like to hear a little bit more from me, uh, but you are too old to enrol on the A-level law course at the FE college that I teach at, but you are a fan of trivia that's liberally punctuated with bad language, um, then you can tune into my occasional podcast. Chris Boyle didn't know that. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, 
and I'm sure loads of other podcast providers as well. Um, thank you very much and goodbye. Chris Boyle downplays his comedy in his intro to these episodes, which is typical of him, but also wrong. He's talented, very friendly, somewhat geeky and very engaging. And uh, I know you'd be tuned in to what he's saying, so please check him out. He's also got a lovely singing voice and he's putting various videos out there on top of his podcasts. Since recording his biog for us, he has rebooted and relaunched his podcast, which now goes under the name Chris Boyle's Mild Life Crisis. Check it out. You'll have fun. Happy Times and Places was presented by me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest was Chris Boyle. Music for Happy Times and Places was specially composed by Dave Gates. If you enjoy these commentaries and would like to support them, and indeed all my other podcasts, you can find details of those at www.tobyhadoke.com. Please do so at patreon.com forward slash where you can be a subscriber. You get special goodies there. Or if you just want to do a one-off payment every now and again when you're feeling flush or kindly disposed towards me, or you just think I might need a coffee, um, literal or metaphorical, uh, please go to Kofi ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock. Your support is always appreciated. Please also rate these podcasts and tell all your friends about them, unless you hate them, in which case go somewhere that you like instead. Thank you. Doctor Who is copyright the BBC and no attempt has been made to infringe that copyright. I just like talking about Doctor Who. Please subscribe to the official Toby Haydoke YouTube channel.